Our Christmas sermon series has been focused on different characters in the Christmas story. Stories from the Gospels of Matthew and Mark. And last week, of course, being Christmas Eve, the sermon series took us to the child that is the central character of it all. Uh, he, of course, is the central character of all the stories, not just the Christmas story. We were reminded of Jesus being the Savior of the world. The final characters that we're going to be looking at in this sermon series are the wise men or the magi. Uh, they teach us much about Jesus. The story of the wise men in Matthew teaches us much about Jesus and how we should respond to him. And so turn with me to Matthew 2, if you have your Bibles. The sermon is titled, Learning from the Wise Men. Read our text and pray for us. Matthew chapter 2, starting in verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of King Herod, wise men from the east arrived in Jerusalem saying, Where is he who has been born the king of the Jews? For we saw his star at its rising and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was deeply disturbed and all of Jerusalem with him. So he assembled all the chief priests and scribes of the people and asked them where the Christ would be born. In Bethlehem of Judea, they told him, because this is what was written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, and by no, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, because out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly summoned the wise men and asked them the exact time that the star appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. When you find him, report back to me so that I, too, can go and worship him. After hearing the king, they went on their way, and there it was, the star that they had seen at its rising. It led them until it came and stopped above the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overwhelmed with joy. Entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and falling to their knees, they worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream, they did not go back to Herod. They returned to their own country by another route. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the hope we have because of the Christmas story. The hope we have because of Jesus. Help us as we look at this text today. Help us believe. Help us see how we should respond to the, to the gift that has been given in Jesus Christ. And strengthen us by your spirit to respond in that way. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So we're going to look at this text about the wise men uh, and use that to help us consider how should we respond. We talked about that some last week, uh, but today we want to see 
this text and what it shows us, because it, it adds to uh, the response that's appropriate to the gift that has been given in the Son of God coming to save us. And so there's going to be four responses, four things um, that we can learn from the wise men that we should consider and apply. The first thing that we learn from the wise men is this. Jesus should be sought out. Jesus should be sought out. Let's look back at verses 1 and 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of King Herod, wise men from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born the king of the Jews? For we saw his star at its rising and have come to worship him. The wise men, or the magi, came from the east. Now, many of us think of this happening at the birth of Christ. Our uh, nativity scenes have the wise men there, these three kings or these three wise men presenting their gifts on the night that Jesus was born. From the text, we see this actually likely came much later on possibly a year or even two years later on, because they are in a home, and because of Herod's response, we think it was at least a year up to possibly two years later, these wise men from the east come. Likely astrologers, uh, these wise men, sometimes referred to as magicians, uh, same root word, the magi, but likely astrologers, from the East that studied texts, were very devoted to learning and finding truth, and they would study texts, they would read signs in the stars to try to come to that truth. So Gentiles, these are not Jews, Gentiles, Gentile astrologers coming to see Jesus. One more reminder that Jesus was the Savior of the world, not just the Savior for a small particular group. He was the Savior of the world. So they come to Jerusalem, the most important of cities, the capital city. If you see a sign and assume that a king of people has been born, a natural thought would be, well, that king must be in the most important city for those people. And so they go to Jerusalem and ask, where is the one? Where's the one that has been born the king of the Jews? We saw his star and we've come to worship him. Now, there are lots of theories about what they saw. Uh, there have been lots of people who've tried to prove uh, different things that happened, different uh, events that took place. So there's some that have proposed maybe they, what they saw was Halley's Comet, because Halley's Comet, if you trace it back to the calendar, would have gone by sometime in the years around when they believed Jesus was born. Some people have proposed that it was a planetary alignment or it was a special nova where a star will show really will shine really bright for a period sometimes of months at a time before it dims back to its regular brightness 
And there's proposals that maybe what they saw was an angel. And it doesn't really matter what they saw. They saw some type of sign, and it was a sign that God was giving them to bring them, to draw them to the Savior of the world that He was providing for them. God sent this sign. So it could have been any of those proposed things. It also could have been, because remember, this is the God who is the creator of all things, who can speak things into existence. So it could have just been a miraculous sign that he was giving them to say, come and see the Savior. Whatever they saw, they believed that something has happened Something monumental in this world has taken place. And there's a significant birth that has taken place. And we want to go and worship that child that was born. They sought out Jesus. And that, of course, is what's expected for all of us. To seek out the one who has already sought us out. And we have this promise from God's word. If we seek, we have this promise later on in Jesus's ministry from Matthew seven, verses seven and eight. Ask and will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you for everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and the one who knocks the door will be opened. If we seek Him, we will find Him. The Lord is not holding back the salvation that He has made available to us. He desires for us to seek out Jesus and we will find Him. The wise men teach us this in their story of seeing and knowing there's been a child that's been born and we want to seek him out. The wise men teach us that he should be sought out. So a question for all of us today is, have we sought out Jesus? Have you come to Jesus? The wise men teach us that's what's appropriate. To hear the story that God loved us so much that He would send His only Son to come and rescue us from our sin. The wise men teach us the appropriate thing is to come to that child, seek out that child. The second thing that the story of the wise men teach us is that Jesus is the true and better king. Jesus is the true and better king. So continuing on in Matthew 2, verses 3 through 6. When King Herod heard this, he was deeply disturbed and all of Jerusalem with him. So he assembled all the chief priests And the scribes of the people and asked them where the Christ would be born. In Bethlehem of Judea, they told him, because this is what was written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. Because out of you, a ruler who will, out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. 
Jesus is the true and better king. So this is in the days of King Herod. And it says the news that came with this question. Where's the one that's been born the king of the Jews? There's been a sign. We've seen his star and we came to worship him. That news that someone has been born that people are saying is the king of the Jews disturbs Herod and disturbs all of Jerusalem. Herod, we've already mentioned, uh, we didn't spend time on him, but I mentioned in a previous sermon, Herod, Daniel Darling in his book, The Characters of Christmas, calls him the, uh, the monster of Christmas. And that is because of Herod's response, which we won't get to, but we'll reference. The monster of Christmas is terrified. He is greatly disturbed because Herod wants to do whatever Herod can do to maintain his power, his control. He is the king. And he is disturbed to hear that there is another king on the scene. Herod had actually already killed his wife and two sons because he feared that there was some type of treason being formed in his own family. He killed his own family members to maintain control, to ensure that he remained king. And that is likely why Jerusalem as a whole was disturbed Not because they didn't want the Savior. They were disturbed because Herod was disturbed. And they knew what that meant. That Herod would likely do whatever it took in order to try to maintain control. And that's what Herod tries to do. If you continue on in Matthew 2, Herod takes action to wipe out the children from Bethlehem, to wipe out the sons that had been born around the time that Jesus was born because he wanted to destroy this up-and-coming king. So he asked all the chief priests, all the scribes, where was this supposed to take place? You know all the answers. Where is the Christ? Where's the anointed one? Where's the Messiah going to come from? Hoping to get an answer so he can act swiftly. And the scribes and the chief priests give him the answer. The king is to be born in this coming Messiah, this coming Savior is to be born in Bethlehem. Which verse 1 told us, just a reminder of connecting the story. Matthew's Gospel is is written, one of its primary purposes is to present Jesus really is the Messiah. He really is the one who had been promised. So Jesus, after He was born in Bethlehem, and then here, the scribes and the chief priests say, well, That Savior, that Messiah, the Christ, is supposed to be born in Bethlehem. And they quote from Micah and then pick up some other Old Testament language and tie it to that. Verse 6 again. And you, Bethlehem, 
in the land of Judah are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, because out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So I say, here's what the prophets say. Micah chapter 5. Bethlehem's where the Christ is going to come from. Bethlehem is where the Christ will be born. And then they pick up that other Old Testament language and say, there's one that was coming. The one that's going to be born in Bethlehem is going to shepherd God's people. He's going to care for God's people. The care of a shepherd is complete care over all needs. That's the king that's coming. So there are two kings in this scene. Cruel King Herod, the one that will kill his own family in order to make sure that no treason is taking place. The one who will go on to wipe out all the sons to and under in Bethlehem, hoping to get rid of this new king. That's one king. And of course, we know Jesus is the true and better king. Herod's just a puppet king from Rome that Rome had put in charge. Jesus was the true king. Jesus was going to be the kind of king that actually cares for his people. All of their needs, like a shepherd, cares for their sheep. In Isaiah... The prophet Isaiah gives us some images of his kingdom, of his rule. And so in Isaiah chapter 9, we read these words, a familiar verse for us around the Christmas season. Verse 6, for a child will be born for us, a son will be given to us, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. The dominion will be vast, and its prosperity will never end. He will reign on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and sustain it. With justice and righteousness from now on and forever. The zeal of the Lord of armies will accomplish this. So two kings presented in this story. And clearly, Jesus is the true and better king. The king that will care for his people. That will lead his people in justice and in righteousness. And ensure that his people have everything that they need. Do you long for a leader who actually cares for all of your needs? We often put our hope in politicians for that. We think, well, if we just get this person in office... If we just get this party in control, then everything's going to be okay and we put our hope in that. But those leaders always fall short. Even the best of them fall short. But Jesus, the true and better king, has come. And Jesus, the true and better king, has promised to come again. And he cares for his people 
in a way that no earthly leader ever has or ever will. He's coming back and He will have an eternal rule. And we will experience that loving care of the true and better King. So let's put our hope there. Let's not put our hope in other men or women in this world. Let's put our hope in Jesus, the true and better King. The third thing that the story of the wise men teach us is Jesus produces joy for those who come to Him. Jesus produces joy for those who come to Him. Matthew 2, verse 7 through 10. Then Herod secretly summoned the wise men and asked them the exact time that the star appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. When you find him, report back to me so that I too can go and worship him. After hearing the king, they went on their way and there it was. The star that they had seen at its rising and it led them until it came and stopped above the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overwhelmed with joy. Jesus produces joy in those who come to him. So Herod comes up with his scheme. He, of course, tries to trick the wise men and says, hey, I want to worship this new king also. Would you go to Bethlehem and you find him? And then I want you to come back and tell me where he is. His plan, of course, is to destroy that child. But so Herod sends them on their way. And as they leave, all of a sudden, the star appears again. The light that had brought them there in the first place. The sign that they had been given starts shining again and they see it. So it hadn't been present the whole time. They'd seen the sign and that's what brought them to the land. And they went to Jerusalem and then as they leave Jerusalem and start to head to Bethlehem, there it is. I love that in the text. And there it was. God again pointing these people to the Savior. Drawing them to His Son. It was a grace and mercy of the Lord that God was showing them right where they need to go. And that's true for every single one of us who have come to Christ. We have come... No, maybe not under the same miraculous circumstances of seeing some sign in the skies. But we have come to the Lord because of God's grace and mercy drawing us to His Son, to the Savior. And it says, when they saw the star, when they saw this sign again that was going to bring them right where they needed to be, they were overwhelmed with joy. Joy flowing through them and out of them because now they can see the one that they've come to see. That's what Jesus desires for us is joy. That's God's desire is for us to find joy that we can have 
by coming to Christ. We know that Jesus desired that. Jesus taught that that was His heart for His people, is to produce joy in them. And that was His prayer for His disciples. So on His final night with His disciples, in John 15 and verse 11, we read this, I have told you these things so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. The things he had been telling them were things about the gift of the Holy Spirit. They were things about remaining in Him. And by remaining in Him, they could do whatever it was that God had for them. I'm telling you these things because I want my joy in you. I want your joy to be complete. His desire is for His people to experience real joy. And then further on... In John 17 and verse 13, now I'm coming to you. He's praying to God the Father. Now I'm coming to you and I speak these things in the world so that they may have my joy completed in them. Praying to God. Produce joy in these people. My joy completed in them. Jesus tells his disciples, that's what I want for you, is for you to experience joy. And he prays for that. Jesus came into this broken world to save us. And that should produce joy in his people who have come to him. Remember remember the lyrics of the the Christmas song that we sing, O Holy Night. Long lay the world... In sin and error pining, till he appeared, and the soul felt its worth, a thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices. The weary world rejoices. Our world is weary. We at times are weary from the brokenness, from sin. You feel that. To your core, we feel weary. But Christ coming into this world to save us gives us hope. And because of that hope, we who are weary can rejoice. The wise men teach us that. That even though we may be weary, Jesus produces joy for those who come to him. And lastly, Jesus is worthy of our worship. Jesus is worthy of our worship. Verses 11 and 12, back in Matthew 2. Entering the house, they saw the child with, his, with Mary, his mother, and falling to their knees, they worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their own country by another route. They came to the child that they were looking for and they bowed in worship to him. They paid homage to him. 
But their worship wasn't just lip service. It wasn't just these kind of ritualistic kind of routines that you might do in the presence of someone important or significant. Because not only did they bow in worship, but they gave costly gifts to the child. To Jesus, they presented, the scripture says, their treasures. It was costly Worship that they gave to Jesus. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh, they gave costly gifts to Him. And that gift giving was part of their worship. Daniel Darling in his book mentions this. True worship involves giving. Often in church life we are reticent to talk about things like tithing and giving. But giving is a natural overflow of a heart that is grateful for Jesus, who gave everything for us. Here, nobody forced the Magi to give. They did it willingly as the Spirit of God loosened their hands from their possessions. Giving doesn't get you to Jesus, but it's a sure sign that you've met Him. True worship involves giving Giving doesn't get you to Jesus, but it's a sure sign that you've met him. After worshiping the child, they return home. A different route, the the scripture says, because in a dream they were told, don't go back to Herod. But before they leave, imagine that scene. Gentile astrologers, pagan astrologers from a distant land worshiping the Savior of the world, costly worship of the Savior of the world. God's plan to bless all the nations has come true. The Savior for all people had come. So because of who He is, and because of what Jesus accomplished for us, He is worthy of our worship, costly sacrificial worship. And the wise men teach us that. So, church, let's consider what changes do we need to make, if any, in our worship of Jesus as we get ready to start a new year What changes do we need to make in our worship? Not just lip service. Yes, the words are important. Speaking praise and worship to our God. But not just lip service. Sacrificial gifts to the Lord. Let's pray about that. As we consider, God, what is it that you're asking of me? And let's respond with appropriate worship. Because he's worthy of it. If you're here and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, you can have one today. You can come to him today. And in him you will find forgiveness. In him you will find joy. Not just temporary happiness that this world has to offer, but real joy because of the forgiveness of your sins, because of the hope that we have and the promises we have 
that Jesus has accomplished for us. The, the text has shown us the wise men seeking out Jesus and finding him. And God wants you to come to his son too. That's why he has you here, to be reminded of this story again. And so if you have questions about Jesus and, and what he's done for you, if you have questions about forgiveness, please see myself or one of our, our ministry leaders or elders before you leave today, as we'd love to share the good news with you. Church, for us, our true and better king has come. So let's, as we get ready to start a new year, let's keep clinging to him because we know that he truly will care for every one of our needs. Let's keep finding joy in him. Let's worship him with everything that we have. Costly, sacrificial worship because Jesus is worth every bit of it. Let's pray. Father, you are good and faithful. We thank you for your word. We thank you for its truth again. Help us believe and help us respond. Thank you for Jesus. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.